Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with biochemist and nutritionist Karen Hurd about dairy. At its core, that's what's wrong with dairy, is the protein in dairy. Now, we can talk about the lactose, which is the milk sugar, a little bit later on. That's another aspect. But it's the protein is the problem. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions, and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences, as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
Now, I always love um, having Karen on the show because she's extremely entertaining. She's really funny. She has a ton of passion and she's really, really smart. So I, I just love to always hear her explain the body and personify the body and explain foods and nutrients and and how things impact us. Um, I think what I always come back to when I work with her is two things. One, the relationship between stress and trauma with our diets, our food, because she always illuminates to me how behind every um, survival response that our body has, even something as covert as making it a bunch of mucus in response to dairy or any allergen, there's also an adrenaline response. And I know from training in somatic work and working with the nervous system and trauma that adrenaline is the fight-or-flight hormone. It doesn't really matter what you're making it for. The, the point of adrenaline is to shock the body and wake it up into a fight-or-flight survival response. So if the adrenaline is being used to suddenly you know, activate your mast cells and create a bunch of inflammation and create a bunch of mucus in response to some kind of invasive um, product or antigen or allergen or chemical, while it's also doing that, it's going to turn on parts of the body that are also holding stored trauma. So it's important to understand that. And if you can visualize like um, a bunch of tree roots kind of wrapping around a little stone, that's how I experience stored trauma in the body. There's this little ball of energy that's kind of like a dormant hard seed at this point because of all the years of constricting around it. And that's where the energy went when something happened. And as it sits there and doesn't really get worked with because we don't know it's there as we develop, it gets deeper and harder and more fixed in our physiology. And it becomes, you know, a, a medical issue or a physical issue or a personality, emotional, psychological issue. But when the adrenaline gets turned on in response to our diets, that adrenaline also, because if you think about it shocking the whole nervous system, it's also going to shock that little stone, that little pebble of unresolved trauma. So those of us that, that experience PTSD or have any kind of stress, anxiety responses in our lives which would be things like insomnia, panic attacks, and general anxiety and high blood pressure and overall hypervigilance, whenever we're eating in a way that also stimulates adrenaline, we're, we're turning that up even more. So those emotional and um, anxiety-based responses and conditions, those are also going to increase while those physiological medical conditions increase. So the two can't be separated. And uh, I find that so enlightening. And it's why I love to work with people holistically around trauma, where we don't talk about what happened or what they went through or what was done to them. That might be, you know, 2% of what we focus on. What we're really focused on is, well, what's it? where is it in your body now? How does that feel when you locate it? And what does that feeling cause your body to do? What do you eat in response to that? How do you live in response to that? How do you move your body in response to that? What beliefs and thoughts and identities have emerged in response to that? That's the real, for me, I should say, that's the way to, to fully heal trauma while learning and understanding about your body. 
So that always comes up to me when I, when I speak with Karen and I work with her protocols and I work with clients nutritionally, is how connected the two are. So that's the trauma piece. The, the gratitude piece, the second piece for me, is, is about abundance. When I hear all these little microscopic functions of the body that the body's going through all day long without us having to do anything for it, it's really this form of unconditional love. You know, the body is just doing its work, whether we reward it or not. The body is just a good person. It's just a good thing. It's just a good body. And when you feed your body what's easy for the body to, to, to assimilate, let's say, the body just nourishes itself and takes care of itself, doesn't have too many issues. When you feed things to your body that are really hard for it to process, the miraculous part is the body still does really well considering, but it's getting a little more tired, a little more achy, a little more rashy, and a little more inflamed over the years as it does it. So our bodies, regardless of what we're doing to them or giving to them, they're just always doing their best to function and serve and heal and nourish. And if you can root into that, I'd find such a, just a beautiful, beautiful heart-opening gratitude for the abundance of how our bodies serve us every second. And it also reminds me of my philosophy and many people's philosophies for that matter, that um, we're just not our bodies. The mind, the spirit, the energy of consciousness gets to experience the body and witness the body and, and move from the body. But this body is its own creature. And it's a beautiful reframe for some people because a lot of us will see what our bodies are doing and we'll shame ourselves for it. Whether it's our weight, our digestion, if we have skin issues, if our hair is falling out, if we were born in bodies that don't look the way we think they're supposed to look, we really take that on like we've done something wrong. Some of us will even use karma against ourselves to say, wow, you, you must have done something horrible in a past life to be experiencing this intense psoriasis, let's say. Or gosh, what did I do to deserve this acne? You did nothing. And I confidently say that. You've done nothing to deserve the pain that your body's in. Pain and rashes and expressions, which we call symptoms in the, the modern American world, that's your body speaking to you. It, that's it. It's a communication between you and your body. And if we step back from identifying and feeling ashamed of our body or feeling guilty of our body, we're able just to really listen without the guilt and shame getting in the way. And through that listening... That's what heals our trauma and heals our mindsets and heals our physical bodies. Today, what I'm working on with Karen and what we're talking about is, is dairy. Because I've never experienced dairy to be of any, um, any real necessity in the human diet. Um, I'm someone that, that promotes plant-based and vegan lifestyles, macrobiotic lifestyles, uh, in terms of um, eating as little to no animal products as possible. I, I think that's an intelligent decision if we look at our planet, if we look at 
all the indigenous cultures that came before us and how plants made up like 80, 85% of what they ate. And they had to put a lot of energy into capturing small usually, but sometimes large animals, which they would, you know, conservatively ingest over a long period of time. So we can see from our ancestors and we can see from the rainforest right now, what happens to the earth when we have to satisfy a uh, high intake of animal products, including byproducts like dairy. So it's a pretty big toll on the planet. And it's a big toll on our bodies. And I see the body and the planet to be the same thing. So whatever works for my body is going to work for the planet. And that's different than what works for my mind. Like I might say in my mind that I really love this thing. And that's my ego attaching to something. And it's great to love things. It's great to love ice cream. It's great to love driving cars. Um, but it's also great to see, well, if something's hurting my body or causing a rash or causing it to not feel well, chances are that same thing causing my body not to feel well is also going to cause the earth not to feel well. It's not about right or wrong. It's just about observation and noticing and inquiring and being curious. So I find dairy to be one of those um, foods that just isn't serving our bodies. And I share this in the episode anyway, so I'll keep this part short. But my, my greatest healing came from removing dairy from my life. Um, I had my tonsils and my adenoids removed when I was four, four or five. I had cystic acne for many, 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 many years. I had chronic asthma and inflammation. I had high cholesterol. I had um, I was pre pre diabetic. I was so hypoglycemic. I would just pass out very often if I didn't eat quickly. Um, I had a lot of body issues, and it came from my inability to process lactose, and from just how casein impacts the body, which Karen beautifully talks about in detail. As soon as I removed dairy from my diet, even before sugars and processed food and meats and such, my body instantly transformed. And Karen says at the very end here, it takes three weeks for the liver to actually eliminate the casein that's built up in the body from dairy. And I remember it being pretty quick like that. Within the first month, my acne started to disappear. My lung function improved completely. I haven't had asthma since. They said I would never grow out of it. I was able to um, drop about 50 pounds. I didn't have high cholesterol anymore. My cholesterol became very low. Um, my health just improved so quickly. And the more I learned about dairy, the more I realized that it's a concentrated nutrient. It's from another animal, from another being. It doesn't work with our bodies. Uh, the milk from the mother's breast is so perfect and has so many perfect functions and should definitely be, um, be, be used you know, to its full extent as long as the mother can, if she can. But dairy from another animal, um, I understand the Celts, which is one of the lineages I come from, Celtic people, um, relied on dairy, especially around Imbolc, which is February 1st or 2nd, depending on where you are. And that the that dairy was dependent on because they'd go through the really harsh winter and then their ewes would start having creating milk. Their animals would start lactating. 
And so I think there, there's this understanding of the sustenance it provides. Maybe, you know, ancestrally, I could even understand in, you know, seasonally, maybe for the first month, I could even see the, why the ingesting of, of another animal's milk would be really important to, to give you something, to build you back up momentarily. But in a culture where it's just so abundant and consistent and sometimes with every meal, I think it's, it's added to a lot of extra buildup. And if you're listening to this, something about this is calling you. This is not for everybody. I'm not a proselytizer. I don't, I don't, when I'm outside of my office, I'm not telling people what to eat or what I think about with food unless they ask. But um, I love to invite everybody to listen to this and try it out. See what it's like for three weeks not to have dairy and just notice if anything changes. And if you really embody your, your process while you do it, you'll see if your body wants to have dairy or doesn't. And you'll know. And whether you use it or you don't use it, that's up to you. But you'll, you'll learn what works better for my body. And that's the beauty of embodiment. Once you feel it and you notice it and you experience it, can't really forget it. And so you're, you're even more wise for it, whether you continue or not. So I hope you enjoy. Here is my conversation with Karen Hurd. So I want to welcome back to the program, Karen Hurd. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Love having you. And I, I have to say, I get so many amazing um, letters and emails when you come on. Um, so many people shifting their bodies and taking your courses and learning so much more about them, their health. So it's a really good work that you're doing. And I am grateful that you come and you share your wisdom here. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. I want people to know. I want people to get better. I know you do. Um, so, you know, we said last time at the end when we were talking, I think off the recording, we were saying, oh, we should we talk about next time? And dairy came up. And I wanted to talk about dairy because... Um, I think my own personal experiences with it. When I was growing up, by the age of 13, I was um, overweight. I had high cholesterol. I had extremely debilitating asthma, um, which was treated with a nebulizer and steroids and inhalers. Um, and I had uh, chronic cystic acne. And I had those things from the ages of 11 till 16, so for five years. And I did really intense medication for all of them and nothing, nothing made it better. And then one day, um, I think I started, my mother started juicing and it led me into just discovering food. It's kind of how my food discovery journey started. And um, in that discovery was the abstinence of dairy. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to try not, not having any cheese, no milk, no butter, nothing. And it was in a matter of weeks, everything went away. So the cystic acne went away, the high cholesterol disappeared, the weight started to drop, and um, the asthma has been gone ever since. So of course, since then, I've done my own research, my own schooling, and I've worked with hundreds of people. And when I help people remove dairy from their diet, so many issues go away. Uh, and there's also just that interesting observation in nature that dairy is unnecessary beyond you know the child the early first couple of years essentially uh, through breastfeeding you know no no other animal continues having dairy so I'm really curious what your input is on that and this is going to be our discussion so I know we will go pretty deep but where do we begin tell me about that I mean I can just make a general statement overall 
dairy is not a healthy food. That's the bottom line. And, you know, we can tolerate small amounts of it here and there, most people, in some form, because there's, there's a form that has been uh, where we, we put in a culture and we, you know, like we put in an apodopolis and we are then converting proteins, but, you know, so it's denaturing the, the, the dairy, but overall that can still be problematic for people who are sensitive, especially those with asthma, allergies, gastrointestinal issues. So we have been taught in our country that dairy is, you know, just the most wonder food that is going to, you know, be a complete protein and just give you calcium and just, and that's what every child and every person should have. Well, that's a, a hypothesis put out on the part of some, but it's actually doesn't hold up with science or in health or in epidemiology. That's a study of populations and their health. And it's, it's just not true. <laughs> So I'm curious about, um, before we get into the biology of it, I'm curious about the latter, like the studies of populations and their health. Like what, what have you found in terms of cultures that ingest dairy cultures that don't, what, what does that look like? Well, it's, as far as epidemiology is concerned, it's not helpful. We're not seeing this great surge of, you know, of less morbidity and mortality. Morbidity is poor health. Mortality is dying. And so we're not seeing any big differences in these cultures that are dairy consumers compared to cultures that are non-dairy consumers. And so, you know, we've had different writers in the past, you know, come out with different books, you know, that are, you know, promoting dairy and, and those books that are not promoting dairy. I mean, there's, there's things on either side. I would, I think what you're doing is perfect. It's because you're bringing to the attention of your listeners that there is a flip side to this coin. And that's what should happen on all things that we are faced with is gather all the perspectives. People are smart. I've really never met a dumb person in my life. I mean, people are intelligent. They're thinking, but they just may be under-informed. And so if they can just be presented with all the different aspects and they can draw their own conclusions. And then we always have the scientific challenge and elimination, which is live without the dairy. Do you feel better? You do. Hmm. Okay. Let's, let's just make this the gold standard. Put the dairy back in. Do you feel worse? Hmm. One last step. Take the dairy back out. You feel better again? Okay. We got the message. Dairy's not helping me. <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> simple, right? You know, I, f- I find that the most, um, I, I don't want to say extreme, I'll say like the obvious shifts, like the, the quickest shifts I see in health come from the elimination of dairy and caffeine. Yes. Those are like the two I just see immediately. Other things take a little time. Um, so it's always so interesting to me how quick the body shows you what's working and what isn't. So I love the idea of like, don't listen to us, try it. And your body will show you exactly what's working for you. Your mind might not like it, but your body will show you (laughs) what's working. Exactly. Our mind might not like it, but we should never be afraid to, to discover truth and where the truth may lead us. That's what really the mind is, is Mm. if you discover truth, you're afraid where it might lead you. If you know the truth is that you shouldn't have dairy because you see what it's doing to you, but you love your pizza and you don't want to be one of these crazy people who order a pizza with no cheese, you know? (laughs) 
so I love it that you go identity of I'm going to be the cheeseless pizza eater. <laughs> you don't want to go there. <laughs> Can you walk us through what happens in the body? Like, let's start with cheese. So what, what, is, what is cheese doing in the body, in your work, in your findings? Well... <laughs> Well, there's several problems, okay? And so we, we can start with cheese, but it, it, it's, it's been altered, so it's not the same as milk. To re- create cheese, we have to, we have to put it through a process. And in this process, the cheese is made into, you know, whether it's a jack cheese or a cheddar cheese or a Swiss cheese, but it has been aged, it's been fermented, it's been changed. And when we we put a protein through those changes, those processes, then you begin to denature or change the look of the protein. And so this is, at its core, that's what's wrong with dairy, is the protein in dairy. Now we can talk about the lactose, which is the milk sugar a little bit later on. That's another aspect. But it's the protein is the problem. The name of the protein in dairy is called casein. And casein is a very large molecule when it comes to protein molecules. We have different sizes of molecules, and the size of the molecule is predicated by how many amino acids are in the sequence. Whenever we make a protein, a protein is composed of individual amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins, and there are 20 of them. That's all we have. There are 20. And then to make one, then they're put together in a very specific order of, you know, we have a phenylalanine here, an alanine here, a methionine here, you know, name it a tryptophan here and go through and name all 20 of them. But they have, they all have to come in this certain order. Mm. And then once they're in that order, that order dictates a folding. And the protein then goes through a very complicated process of folding into a shape. They're really beautiful shapes. I mean, we can see them in, in x-ray crystallology that shows the shapes of proteins there. And you can see beta sheets and, and different alpha formations. And I mean, you can see spirals and all kinds of cool ways that they form into this molecule. The casein molecule is one of the larger proteins that we have. And it is so large, in fact, that when we try to image it with this crystallography that we use to image things, protein molecules, we can't even capture it because it's too big. Mm. We have to just take a picture of a part of the molecule because it's such a massively large molecule. Now, when I I make it seem like it's this big thing, you know, as big as the state of Texas, but (laughs) it's not... It's they're still really teeny tiny. I mean, you know, they're they're microscopic, but when you compare it to other proteins, it's a very large protein. So who cares if it's a large protein, you know? It's because when we take a protein inside a human body for a food source, such as dairy, such as cheese, and we're taking it inside the human body, we can't utilize a complete protein in its whole molecular structure. We can't, we, we have no ability to utilize it because the human body utilizes amino acids. We don't take a casein molecule and incorporate it 
into a muscle tissue that, oh, let's look at this muscle molecule. Oh, look here, attached by a hydrogen bond over here, we have a casein molecule. No, that doesn't happen at all. What we have is this large molecule that has to be broken down. Every single protein molecule, whether it's dairy in the form of cheese or whether it's meat or fish or eggs or whatever the protein is, we have to take that molecule and we have to break it into its individual free amino acids because that's the only way we can build another molecule in the human body is because we have a DNA, the DNA is transcribed, it is translated into its whatever cell we're trying to make. And that translation process requires, okay, we need this protein to come in here, this protein, this protein. Okay, so this three protein sequence now is created this particular code. And then we add all these sequences together and we create a molecule. Everything that we have in us is made out of protein. It's made out of these amino acids. They are critical for our existence. Without them, we, we are not here. We just won't be here. So when we eat something like casein, we have to, in the gut, in the gastrointestinal tract, we have to unfold this protein and break the bonds that are holding the amino acids together. Remember, this is in, a, in the casein, we're talking over 100,000 residues. A residue is another chemical name we call for an amino acid. We have over 100,000 of these amino acids in one, one molecule, okay? And to eat a piece of cheese, we're talking about lots and lots of molecules that are put together. And so we have to go in and break the dipeptide bond. There's a bond between this amino acid, amino acid A, and amino acid B. I'm talking with my hands and your people can't see me talking. Why can't you have, you know, podcasts that you don't even see? You know, I'm just teasing. You don't have to do that. But anyway, we have amino acid A and we have amino acid B over here and they are, they're attached to one another. Well, we have to make those amino acids free so then they can be utilized by the human body. In the bloodstream is where they're going to be utilized by the human body. But to get into the bloodstream, we have to break them first into the amino acids. I'm going to put a caveat in here right now. You can absorb a complete casein molecule. And we got to get into that because that's what causes allergies. That's what created your asthma when you were mm. a teen. Mm -hmm. And so we can take the whole molecule into the bloodstream, but in the bloodstream, we don't break dipeptide bonds that can only happen in the gastrointestinal tract. So we need that process to happen in the gastrointestinal tract. So we have all these Protein A is now floating separately from protein B. But to get them to be separated from one another, there's this bond. It's called the dipeptide bond. And it has to be broken. And there are, it doesn't just snap apart by itself. You have to have some catalyst to make this chemical reaction happen where you break the bond between these two amino acids. Well, what are the catalysts to do this? Very specific enzymes, digestive enzymes that we create in our gut. Our stomach produces them. We, we have many places in our gut that are producing these different enzymes, including our pancreas, which is an endocrine and exocrine organ um, that secrete these different enzymes. And these enzymes are acting as catalysts and they go through and say, oh, we will facilitate the breaking of this bond between these two amino acids in this casein molecule. And they go through and they break, 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 break the bonds. 
Okay, so here's the hitch. We don't have a digestive enzyme that can break the dipeptide bonds in a casein molecule. Mm. Human beings don't make that catalyst. Mm. We just don't have it. And some people say, well, I'll drink, you know, this, this lactate. I'll take lactate. And it's like, well, people, you're looking at lactose now. Yeah, now yeah lactose, not casein. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're not looking at casein anymore. You move from protein to a sugar. Because some people genetically, genetically have an inability to handle the milk sugar. And so that's what this lactate milk and all these, you know, aids are. That's milk sugar. We, we never still address the main problem, which is casein, which is the protein. The protein is the crux of the issue. Now, we have a couple of these other issues we should talk about, too, that come in. But the main bottom line is the protein. So let's pause there a minute. Let's pause because I want to review. This is great. So the analogy I've always used uh, with my clients around amino acids versus proteins uh-huh. is I think of like um, the MTA, like the subway system in New York City. And I think of the whole subway system as like a protein and the amino acids are little cars of the train. And it all builds this giant protein uh, molecule. Is that correct? Yes. But that's made up of all the 20 amino acids. So we have to break down, like you said, a catalyst. So it doesn't just break it apart like an ax to wood. You have to literally go in there and essentially I'm I'm, I'm imagining like disembody each amino acid from the big chain of the protein molecule. Pull it away from the chain. Yes. Right. And then you have these 20 amino acids that line up the way they know how to line up in the body. And then they go to the tissues, the collagen, the eyes, all these different areas that rebuild. Right. They're free so, floating in the bloodstream. They're free and then floating. They're, okay. They're free floating in the bloodstream. And then they are grabbed by whatever whatever we're trying to. The, it's actually a DNA process, transcription and translation. And then they're grabbed and then they're made into whatever we need, a liver cell, a skin cell, a muscle cell. Oh, I love that. So they're broken down, the intestines are, then the amino acids are going, pulled into the bloodstream where they just kind of hang out till they're needed. And then when you say about the casein, we don't have the enzyme to break it down. So instead of 20 amino acids coming from the casein, there's just these big globular casein molecules floating Exactly. And that's what's in the bloodstream. And that's Mm. what's rejected by your body and creates Mm. the allergen response. Oh, is that what, including what? Sorry. Including the asthma. Asthma, your asthma, what you described to me because of your, you know, discontinuation of the dairy and your immediate improvement is that your asthma was created by the allergen casein. And is that, is, is that as simple as to say mucus? I mean, is it that easy or, cause when I imagine a casein, a protein, I think of like a sticky thick substance. Is that what it's doing or what, what is it actually doing? Well, what it is doing is it's it's setting up an i an IG response. It's an immune system response, and so your immune system has these antibodies that then will trigger a mast cell. Mast cells line your nasal cavities, your throat, your stomach, your skin, and then the mast cell is then triggered by these antibodies, which are triggered by the this big massive protein molecule. And then the triggering of the mast cell, it triggers it so much that the mast cell then releases something called histamine. Mm. And histamine is an inflammatory agent, which will cause the surrounding tissue to become inflamed and then to secrete mucus to get rid of it. Because now we're trying to get rid of this allergen. I mean, if we 
we eat the allergen. How does how do we get it out of the bloodstream? I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to have to have some way to get it to exit. And whether that's sneezing, blowing your nose, having mucus where you're, you know, going, <coughs> and then, you know, people, I call it hawking, you know, mm-hmm. I can't even do it. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. my husband can do that really well. It's just, you know, <laughs> like, how did they do that? <laughs> and then you bring up this big glob of mucus. And it's one of the ways that we are shedding these molecules and that, and that through this, process of inflammation and, and this is all occurring to where where these molecules are you know and they are specifically in these areas where the mast cells are mast that's cells interesting are, so the casein mm-hmm. mast cells what i'm sorry say that again. it's a human cell i mean it's we all have mast cells i mean it's not that they're creating the mast cell that's just part of our of but our it creates the response is what i'm hearing and the yes. the casein yes. itself isn't the mucus but it creates the body creates mucus in response to the casein Exactly. Oh, it's so interesting. So I, in my mind, visually, I always saw the casein as this mucus molecule, but now I'm understanding the mucus is the body's defense against the casein. Exactly. Interesting. This is so um, validating because my entire life when I was, I mean, I had my tonsils removed when I was four, right? So from the time of, you know, I started ingesting dairy till the time I stopped, so we're talking a good 16 years, I was chronically ill, like monthly sinus infections, antibiotics, I mean, so many things. And no one was um, nutritionally informed where I grew up. So it was just, oh, he's, that's just him. That's how he'll be his whole life. He'll need da, 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 da. And so th- this is, this is making sense of what my body was doing with that. So let's continue. I just wanted to pause and then review that. So I made sure I understood. Right. And I'm just going to throw in a comment here. You know, your doctors, your mom, your dad, you know, when you were four years old, they were acting on the knowledge that they had at the time. This is why it's so important for us to continue to learn and to be willing to seek truth. And that's what scientists are doing. And so we bring new things to the table. And as we learn, we go, aha, Casey. And in this whole thing that I'm describing to you is very well-known science. Now, it wasn't when you were four years old. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate yeah. that because I, I like... I like when we're doing this education that it's not shame-based. No. That it's, it's like we're curious. We're all innocent. We know as much as we know. And then like Maya Angelou says, you know better than you do better. So I think that's just what we're learning. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. I like that's, that. That's beautiful. So the casein is just kind of hanging out in the bloodstream and the body's having And it's actually, it's, it's interesting. Isn't it almost replicating what the coronavirus does as well? This like, huge mast cell response. That creates a histamine yes. response, just like any yes. other any other invader yeah, the would do. Cells are part of your immune system. You're having right. an immune system response because entering into the bloodstream is this unbroken down protein, which we cannot utilize at all. We have no mechanism to create the catalysts inside the bloodstream that are going to break these dipeptide bonds and break this entire molecule down into its over you know it's hundreds it's a you know thousands and thousands of residues of amino acids. So we have a foreign invader. The casein molecule is a foreigner. And I'm, you know, it sounds, maybe it's not a good illustration because I believe, I I love foreigners. I think, I love all the different cultures, but in the body, we do not welcome something that is not a part of your body. Let's just call, it's not a part of Karen. It's not a part of Louise. It's not a part of me. And therefore we need to get rid of it because it is a danger to the body. Mm. And so that, stimulates an immune system response 
there are certain cells. The first cell that's the first online is the macrophage. The macrophage is a white blood cell. All of the immune system fighting cells are white blood cells. And the macrophage is going throughout the body. And his job is to find things that don't belong in your body because that's how we identify they're called antigens, contagions, whatever's going to cause disease and harm to the human body. It's a macrophage. He's like the, the, the guard at the edge of the camp, you know, saying, okay, and you have to have an ID check. And so that macrophage is going around and checking every single molecule that comes through and saying, okay, uh, I need to see your ID. Do you belong to Louise or not? Uh, you can't produce an ID. Stay here. I have to detain you. Now, the macrophage does not alert the immune system to attack this, this invader, this potential invader. All we know is the invader doesn't have an ID. And so then it contacts a T helper cell. And the T helper cell and then the macrophage, they're both white blood cells, will speak to each other through a cellular communication process, which is incredibly, we, I mean, we have just discovered this in the last few decades, how cells can talk to each other. And so, and it's, it, that's, it's called signal transduction pathways, and it's really pretty cool. But anyway, they talk to each other. And so the, the Mac, Mac says to, to T helper, hey, T helper, I've got this, this molecule detained over here, doesn't have an ID. I'm afraid it could be harmful to this body. So what do you think? I'm transmitting to you all the molecular structure and all the data that I've gathered on it. So it gives that information to T-Helper. And T-Helper says, Big Mac, I call him Big Mac because actually they're going to, they're going to eat this protein in a minute, maybe. We'll see. And so says, Big Mac, you... You've got you've got a you've got one here that could be a potential threat to the body. But hang on, I have to check with one more higher up. See, we have this 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 check system to make sure we don't go out and kill something that's useful or attack something that is useful to the human body. Mm -hmm. So then T helper contacts T suppressor. T suppressor is another white blood cell and says, T suppressor, we have detained over here, wherever it is at the moment where the macrophage has detained it. And it's actually holding on to it. It actually attaches to it and stops it. it. says, here's all the data on it. What do you think? And T-suppressor is supposed to make a decision and say, you know what? This is a dead piece of protein. It's not going to multiply. It's not going to make any harm in the body. It's a big hunking molecule, and the liver is going to clear it. Tell Big Mac to let it go. The liver will clear it out dump it into the biofluids. It'll go down to the gastrointestinal tract in the form being captured in a micelle in a biomolecule. And then hopefully this person's eating some soluble fiber. We discussed this on another podcast. Oh, yeah. And then you will eliminate it. Good. Good riddance. But the T suppressor makes a mistake. The T suppressor says, oh, you got a big bad one. This one can multiply. It's going to create more of itself, like the coronavirus. It creates more of itself. It hijacks the cell machinery, and it creates more of itself. So it's going to make more casein molecules. Well, people, casein is dead. It is not a live protein. It is a dead protein. That's the difference between an antigen and an allergen. An allergen is a protein that is dead, 
It cannot reproduce itself. That's the uh, description. There's 10 signs of life that we have in biology. And a critical one is, can it reproduce itself? If it can't reproduce itself, it's pretty much telling you it's dead. That's amazing. So yeah, a casein molecule cannot beget another casein molecule mm-hmm. in your bloodstream. It's a dead piece of protein. T suppressor should say, Mac, let it go. You know, tell, tells the T helper to tell Mac, let it go. And the liver will take care of it. But T suppressor makes a mistake and says, no, we got a big bad one here. We need to turn on the immune system and attack this baby and kill it. Mm-hmm. And so the T suppressor is what turns on the immune system or turns off the immune system. So it turns on the immune system to create antibodies. And we have IgG, IgA, IgM, IgG. We have several different antibodies. And these antibodies then will attach to these mast cells that I'm talking to you about that are lying in our nose and our throat and our, our, our lungs and the gastrointestinal tract skin. And then we'll say, have the mast cells create this poison, this histamine, to kill the casein molecule, which doesn't need to be killed because it's already dead. Mm-hmm. And so in this release of histamine, you create this inflammation, you create mucus, and so that we can flood it out, wash it out, get rid of it. And mm. so the mistake I've- is on the immune system's part. So I have to comment on two things. First of all, I've never been so entertained learning oh. <laughs> about, <laughs> about the, way, the way the body processes cheese. And that's one reason why people seek you out. It's so easy to absorb because it's so fun. You know, you make it so easy it's and fun. fun. And it is so fun. I, it I is love fun. it. I love understanding all this. And, you know. It's so fun. I feel like I'm at a show, which I haven't been to in <laughs> 12 months. <laughs> so thank you for the, for the service. But, um, you know, it also, it, spiritually, it brings me to a place of just like so much gratitude. Uh, like when people talk about the word abundance and they see it as this external thing, like our, we are so abundant just by the way our bodies take care of us. I know. Right? Like regardless of where you come from, like God, God is spirit. It's like something is driving us and that is, I'm so grateful to that. That is amazing. I am very grateful too. Our bodies are amazing. I, I love the way we're created. I mean, it's incredible. So when you say how the body does all that work for us, just from casein, we're not even on the lactose. <laughs> it's yeah. like we haven't that's... even got onto the saturated fat either. That's <laughs> the third point against it. <laughs> so let's let's jump to the lactose for a moment. Okay. If, if it feels right to you, whatever feels natural for you, I should say. Yeah, feels... yeah, yeah. Sure. So now we understand that, and I want to make sure that I, I made it clear because I, I mentioned before, cheese is denatured. So some of those bonds, because of the the process that we go through to make cheese, we have broken some of those dipeptide bonds in that process before you eat them. So we've already freed up, I'm emphasizing the word, some Mm -hmm. of the amino acids, but there's many that are not. Mm -hmm. So we're still going to have parts of these molecules going in that are going to create a problem for us. So a denaturing means a breaking of the dipeptide bonds. Okay. Okay, Now, one other comment. Milk is not denatured. So if a person drinks a glass of milk, they're getting the full, well, full impact. And that is the most of any of the dairy products that we have. That is the most 
harmful to the human body. And that's mm. the one that's most promoted. You know, the kids mm -hmm. in school, you have to have milk and babies, you know, if you're not going to nurse the baby, you have to give them a milk supplement, you know, and formula. And it's just like, no, don't mm -hmm. do that. They have no digestive enzyme and they have no way. This is not a denatured protein and it's not helpful. So, you know, I'm glad you said that about babies because um, the clients I've worked with who, who stop nursing or can't or, you know, wherever they go, um, I use what we did with our daughter for them. And we do um, just a puree of mung beans. And these children, their growth is incredible. Like when they're, I mean, of course they have other things too to supplement them. But when they have the mung beans, their bodies just so quickly, it's like they sprout. It's amazing. It's because we are giving them, and they're obviously getting some other food too, besides the mung beans, because Definitely. the mung beans is short in one of the essential amino acids, which I, I didn't talk about essential versus non-essential amino acids. But in the essential amino acids, we can't make those. In a non-essential amino acid, you can make anything any amino acid out of an essential amino acid, but the essential amino acids of which there are nine of that 20, you have to eat. And among bean, we have eight amino acids and we're missing one, but they're probably going to be eating rice. And so then we'll pick mm -hmm. up, the, it's tryptophan and methionine, those are the two amino acids mm -hmm. in question here. And so then you're picking up the one. And so then they finally had the, the free amino acids that they can use to grow and to mm -hmm. thrive when they're doing milk you think, well, I'm giving them this protein. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. All they're getting is sugar. They're living on sugar. Mm. And where's that sugar coming from? The lactose in the milk. And then who knows, maybe the parents feeding them other sugary things. I don't know. So that moves us into the lactose. So lactose is a milk sugar. Now, milk sugars are very easy to digest. They don't, they're, they're saccharides. The saccharide is a, is a chemical construct where the bonds that are holding these polysaccharides, poly means more than one saccharide molecule together. There's disaccharides and monosaccharides. Mono is one, di is two, and then poly is more than two. And those are really super simple bonds that all humans have to be able to break those bonds and free up the saccharides. And there are, it's a very small, very tiny, tiny part of the world population has a, a DNA polymorphism is what we call it. It's an it's a altered DNA where they are unable to digest these lactose, milk sugar polysaccharides. And so then they will have a stomach ache. That's what it results in, is that they have a stomach ache. And, you know, they can have diarrhea, and, you know, they can even throw up and they just, that's, it's all gastrointestinal. Those people, if they do the, you know, they can take like a lactate, there's these, they're giving them, they're breaking it. It's, it's a milk that has already been, this milk sugar has been broken down for them so they don't get the stomach ache. So when you get to dairy for the normal person, and I was not, well, yeah, I will call them normal. That doesn't have the polymorphism to the, you know, to the, to the milk sugar lactose. When you get to the majority of the public, we can tolerate the lactose. That's not the problem. We can break it down, but it's a large amount in milk. Mm -hmm. Milk is a high sugar. Lactose is the form of the sugar. It's a high sugar source. Now, when you get to cheese, 
No, then we have actually, the lactose has been utilized as an energy source in the processing of the cheese or in the processing of the yogurt. And then we don't even worry about it in sour cream because that's made out of fats. That's the third issue that we have to have with dairy. But in all of our products that have the, the lactose in them, if it's not milk, it's already been, mm-hmm. been made better. You know, so ice cream might be the most detrimental because it's milk and there's a ton of sugar added to it. Yes. Of all the dairy products, ice cream is the worst. And of course, that's the one that people... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's some magical food. Yes. 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 You're not American if you don't have a bowl of ice cream before <laughs> you go to bed, you know? <laughs> so it's the worst. It's the worst for you because you have... It's not cultured. So you don't have the breaking down of any of the proteins, even partially. And then you have the naturally occurring sugars. And then you have the added sugars. And then on top of that, it's cold. Mm. And so cold is not good for us people. I mean, that's another this conversation. But at the bottom line is we're mammals. We have to maintain roughly a 98-degree body temperature. We have to. Otherwise, we die. Mm-hmm. And so when you put something cold in the body, your body has to work very hard to heat it up because is it going to stay cold? When you eat something that's frozen, everybody knows 32 degrees Fahrenheit, things freeze. And so ice cream is lower than 32 degrees Fahrenheit. What is your body temperature? 98. And I'm just calling it 98. It's 98.6, but actually it's a range. You know, we always say 98.6 is normal. It's a, there's actually a range of normal and, and for a little lower, it's up to 99. So you can be a 95 point you know, something, I mean, 5.8 and you can still be normal. But your body temperature is in that 96, 98 degree range. And so when you put in something that's less than 32 degrees Fahrenheit, what happens? Does your whole body temperature lower? I mean, we know that you put something cold on something that changes the temperature, whatever it's in contact with. Mm-hmm. Well, so if we kept eating ice cream, we're going to start to turn into a little block of ice. Mm-hmm. Unless we have a mechanism to keep our temperature at this 98 or so degree Fahrenheit. And we do have that mechanism. It's called homeostasis. And we use the thyroid hormones are primary in this and making sure that we stay at this body temperature because we will die otherwise because the chemical reactions that happen in the human body only happen at the 98 degree temperature. If you have a lower temperature, chemical reactions don't happen. And we are one mass of chemical reactions. That's, mm-hmm. that's how we work. We work through chemical reactions. That's the way life is. And so if they don't happen, then you die. So if you drop below 90, you're gone. I mean, you know, a temperature, mm-hmm. if you're in your high 80 temperature, it's like you're checked out. Goodbye. You're frozen stiff. You know, mm-hmm. if you died. And so the body is going to do everything it can to maintain homeostasis and keep you at 98. So when you put this cold, cold substance in, then it takes all of its resources and diverts it to keeping you warm. So then when you're exposed to the coronavirus or to the flu or to whatever, you know, contagion that is around you, oh, sorry, we really don't have time to deal with this. You know, we really should be looking at this and we should be fighting this right away. But we are really busy just trying to keep this person from dying of cold. I always call that energetic debt, you know, like, because your body goes into this literal debt of its own energy where it's, like you just said, I'm using all my resources to deal with this or with the casein, I'm using my resources to deal with the casein. So then when uh, an antigen comes in, then there's this, 
I can't really deal with this as well. This is going to impact me and go deeper into my tissues than it would if I was really clear, I'm assuming. Actually, I, I like that word, energetic debt. I've never heard that before. It's a good term. It's a good term. Yeah. So, so we create this problem. Do we also, um, and then we'll go to saturated fat next. Do we also, um, from the from the mast cell activation, the T cells activating, um, the immune response, the body having to heat itself up if there's cold ice cream in it, are those also activating adrenaline, all those situations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because whenever whenever we have any response, we have to move quickly. And to move mm. quickly, we have to speed all of the chemical reactions to go speed. So we need a catalyst to do that. And that catalyst is adrenaline. Because these are all essentially... Super- the polar plunge. You know, mm. you've heard the polar plunge. You yeah, know? sure. It's, it's this activity where you jump into these freezing cold waters. And they say, but I feel so revived and so refreshed. Welcome to the world of an adrenaline rush. <laughs> Your body is doing everything it can to survive, and you're going to have an adrenaline rush so that you can survive. Mm. Yeah, these are all survival responses that you're talking about. Even the mast cell activation is all saying, I need to survive, and so adrenaline gets turned on. Absolutely. And that, that's the intersection of my work with nutrition with trauma, because anyone that experiences PTSD or chronic trauma uh, responses is someone living in an adrenalized state. So anything that's adding to that is not going to help the fight or flight responses either. Absolutely. That's brilliant. All very connected. So tell us about the saturated fat. Okay. Now there's, there's two types of fat, basically. We have bad fat. We have good fat. That's in most simplistic terms. Bad fat is saturated fat. Good fat is unsaturated fat. So who cares about what saturated is? What And what is saturated? Saturated is referring to a chemical term that means it's saturated with hydrogen molecules, not molecules, they're actually atoms. We call them atoms or ions or protons are actually called too. And so these little hydrogens, which is an atom, attached to carbons. All fats are made out of a long, long, long carbon chain. And then there's hydrogens attached to each carbon. And then the carbons have to have four bonds. This is just straight chemistry. There's no exceptions to the rule. I love chemistry because, you know, we don't, it's like math. You know, two plus two always equals four. I'm sorry, you can't say two plus two equals three. It just doesn't. It won't add up. And in carbon, you're going to have four bonds. That's the bottom line. That's going to happen. And so it's carbon's going to be attached to a carbon on the left and a carbon on the right, if you want to picture this. And then it's got to have two more bonds. And so it's going to attach uh, to the top and the bottom. It's going to attach a hydrogen. And then you stretch that all out into a chain, and then we call that a fatty acid. And we use fats to make a lot of different things that are very healthy for us. Well, saturated fat means that the carbon has the maximum this carbon chain has the maximum number of hydrogens that can be attached to it attached. You say, well, the maximum number, you said it has to have four bonds. Yes, but what I haven't told you is that carbon can make a double bond with the carbon next to it. It can even make a triple bond. But in fats, it makes double bonds. Well, that means it's doubly bonded to one carbon next to it, and it's singly bonded to the carbon on its left, and so we'll say it's doubly bonded to the carbon on its right. So then how it's got one more bond to make, and we'll make it with a hydrogen. So it is unsaturated fat because we don't have the maximum number of hydrogens. We could break the double bond between those two carbons, and then we can put in another hydrogen. And so that's what a saturated fat is, is there aren't 
any double bonds between the carbons along this long fatty acid chain, and we have the maximum number of hydrogens. So what does that do to a person? Well, this makes a very stable molecule because carbons are all happy. They, they don't need to play. They're out in the, in the, you know, at recess in the, you know, playing on the jungle gym or out in the yard. And they're, you know, they're not, they don't want to interact with anybody else because they're happy. They got all the hydrogens they need. They don't want anybody around them. So they're happy molecule. When you have a doubly bonded molecule, you have the capacity to break that one bond. It's called a pi bond. And you can bring in somebody else to play. Mm -hmm. We call it a functional group in chemistry. And you can make a hormone out of it. You can make a tissue out of it. You can make it into something because things that have double fats that have double bonds like to play. They will, they will do something. And so when we consume a saturated fat, they don't like to play. They are stable molecules. They are not going to do anything. But what if we have to make, we have to make a hormone. We have to make a tissue. And the body says, we have saturated fat here. That's all I have available. What am I going to do? Then we have to make it into an unsaturated fat. Mm. So the body is able, and the mitochondria of the cell, that's a part of a, the, one of the cell organelles, can take one of these fat molecules that is saturated and cleave off a hydrogen and make a double force of bubble bond between two carbons. So then we can have a molecule that can be chemically reactive and we can make something out of it. This is called the beta oxidation process. It is a many step process, a six step process. And twice along that process, you will create something called free radicals. Mm. That is a split moment in time where carbon has only three bonds instead of four and that split moment of time and there's a panic that ensues because it has to it goes into electrons and electrons have to be paired and then you will have an unpaired electron you have a free single electron that does not have its mate mm. and you have a very very agitated electron which will do anything and everything to get a mate to have a second electron because that is the way we are created. We have to have pairs of electrons, not a single electron. And when you have that single electron that's set free in this beta oxidation process, then it will slam into another molecule to seize and steal someone else's electron. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as long as that's on the peripheral of a cell, that's okay. But you have to understand in chemical reactions, we have some incredible speeds that happen. And it can hit so hard that you actually penetrate whatever you're, you're trying to steal from, and you can damage DNA. Mm -hmm. If you have, if you penetrate so deeply one of these flying electrons and you damage the DNA, then we will have a mutation. And that's mutation. where we get into the cancers and chronic illnesses and such. Yes, that's so yes, interesting. Yes. So I, I want to recap now for my my brain and some of, some of my audience's brains, some are biochemists, they're going to be like, yeah, yeah. Others are going to be dissociating because <laughs> it's so much, good, so much good information, but it's a lot. So we have the unsaturated fats, which are not taxing the energy of the mitochondria to, to transform because right. right. they're already unsaturated, so they're already useful. So number one, they're conserving energy. And number two, they're, they're, they're catal not catalytic, but they're synthesizers. They're able to make tissues and hormones and have yeah. these incredible life-giving responses in the body that yeah. aid in repairing and constructing and such. Yeah. So that's what the unsaturated fats are doing for us. And they're also lubricating tissues and, and everything. Yes. 
And then we have these saturated fats, which will eventually do the same thing after they've exhausted the mitochondria and possibly created free radicals. Yes. Yes. That's a big deal. Very good at this, Luis. I mean, summarizing that, that's perfect. That's exactly what happens. Good. It's just so interesting because um, I'm always looking at the micro and the macro. So I'm always interested. um, You know, have you ever heard of Paul Pitchford? No. He's a he's a great nutritionist. I've never uh, worked with him personally, but I've read his books. Um, and he has this uh, he ha- he does this thing as well, where he sees the the dietary habits of a culture and how they start coming out through their society. And so, when you say this piece about the saturated fats, I think you know saturated fats are something we get from really processed foods. You know, I understand it's largely coconut oil dairy, and then of course, hydrogenated oils. So it's these extremely processed foods that we get it from. In nature, you're not really going to get saturated fats. Um, And so that tells me a lot because the way a saturated fat bothers the body and disturbs its balance, the same way we just possibly disturb the ecosystem, you know, the farming of these and the manipulation of foods versus the unsaturated fats, which are just so ready to play and kind of contribute to your life versus exhaust it. That's pretty exactly. profound. It is profound. It is. So what do you, we have a couple minutes. What do you, when it comes down to um, just thinking, because we were talking about dairy and I'm, I'm interested in so many things right now that we talked about, but I think the piece that, that interests me the most is if you could kind of summarize it, what do people expect to experience or what have you seen in all your years doing this? when people start pulling dairy away from their lives? What are the main symptoms that shift or what are the things we notice in our bodies? The first thing that you'll notice is that you'll have less gastrointestinal issues because, the, because we just can't break down this protein and so that it's, and then we also, some people, few people have a lactose problem. But you have less constipation, less diarrhea because dairy can cause either one, mm. constipation or diarrhea. And then the next thing you'll see is a reduction of mucus. You know, you're not doing this, clearing your throat, hocking up these globs of mucus. And those are the two most overt symptoms you'll see. And I need to put a caveat in here. You'll say, well, I quit dairy yesterday and I don't see that today. It takes three weeks for your liver to clear the casein that is already in your body out. Once you stop it, it takes us three weeks to get rid of the old stuff. Really so people, good to know. I want to be well tomorrow. It's just like, well, you know, we don't work that. Our bodies don't work that fast. We got a lot of ketchup work here to do. Mm-hmm. So three weeks. Isn't it the same with caffeine as well? Is that or is that not true? Caffeine is a two week. Two weeks for caffeine, three weeks. That's so important. It's good for people who are listening to to know yeah. because they're going to want that concept of okay, I'm going to give it three weeks and see how I feel. Yeah, it's good to know. It's three weeks, and so then we just and then we just feel. You don't have that mucus, you don't have that drainage, you don't have, you know, you don't feel, you don't have the gut issues, whether it's constipation, diarrhea, or just an upset stomach, feeling nauseous. And so those are the things that, that we'll notice. It's amazing. And what are your thoughts? Because I know you're a big promoter of of whole nuts and cashews and such. What are your thoughts of people who um, would supplement dairy with a cashew based, let's say cheese, like a fermented cashew cheese, if it's low in saturated fat? That's great. I mean, It's a wonderful way to, you know, to get a cheese. Now, it doesn't quite taste the same. I mean, people are going to complain about that. But, you know, we get used to what we're eating. I mean, really, if it was all about taste, I guess we would all be 
very sick. And I guess that's why we're seeing so many that's, Americans very sick. Because you just discovered sick. something there. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, the flavor is in the fat, by the way. And your saturated fats have more flavor mm. than your unsaturated fats. So it's funny you say that because we we joke a lot. We have we used to have this friend um, when we lived in the city who um, just loved processed foods, and she would she would she had a lot of pride in, in her love for processed foods. And we'd always be joking with each other because we were very unprocessed in our diet. And so we'd always say something like, "Oh, it, you have to try this. It's just brown rice with a little olive oil and salt. It tastes just like mac and cheese." Because we were so deprived of the flavor of cheese for so long, and she would eat it and be spitting it out. So when you were saying, you know, eventually we 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 do eventually these very simple foods become like decadent because your your flavors awaken a little bit more and you, the subtlety of whole foods becomes much more, I've, I find at least uh, decadent and pleasurable as you detoxify from the process. I too. I mean, when I eat cashews, it's like, whoa, I think I died and went to heaven. They are so yeah. good. You know? That's right. Whoa, this is good. If you haven't had cashew butter, people, wow. It's oh my so gosh. It's like dessert. <laughs> it is. It's like, this is really good for me. Yes, it's very, very good for you. Yeah. I, I just always love spending time with you and learning from you and, you know, you're a treasure in this world. So um, thanks, thanks for your generosity in coming on and educating yeah, us and more. Thank you, Louise, for what you're doing. You're doing a great work there too. We need lots of us. So yeah, we're need- lucky. Yeah. Okay. Bye, Karen. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give in to mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.